Good morning and welcome back to the Metropolitan Culture Corner. This is our 30th episode, so I thought some champagne was in order. However, as it is only 11 o'clock in the morning, I opted for coffee instead. Cheers, and here's to 30 Metropolitan Culture Corner interviews with so many fascinating figures from the local arts and culture scene. Thank you to them for taking the time to share their stories with us. Thank you to you for following what we do. Now, local does not mean local only. Most of these artists, musicians, writers, chefs, photographers, designers, etc., most of them are based in Barcelona, but they work all around the world. We're just lucky to have them living so close by, and we're lucky that so many of them choose to share their time with us in this interview series, which we started right before the pandemic. Little did we know that this whole Zoom interview thing would become a thing. So this month on the Metropolitan Culture Corner, we interview Lucas Avram Cavazos. Lucas is a writer, educator, radio presenter, and cultural reporter with a passion for entertaining and informing others. He was born in South Texas near Austin and grew up between there and Brooklyn, New York. He moved from New York City to Barcelona 14 years ago and since then has become a recognizable figure in both the entertainment world and in education circles. His work has been published both here and abroad by the Los Angeles Times, a BBC News, Catalonia Today, and by our own Metropolitan Magazine. He is currently the presenter of one of the top-rated English-language radio programs in Catalonia, The Club with Lucas, on RCE 106.9 FM, where he has interviewed everyone from local authors and musicians to household names like director and recent Oscar winner Guillermo del Toro. He consistently uses his connections in the worlds of art, media, and communications to promote a number of outreach programs and non-profit events. As an educator, Lucas uses his background in finance as well as his NYC Get It Done attitude to help businesses and entrepreneurs grow their brands and to reach wider audiences through language classes and private consulting sessions. He is also the head of studies at the city's oldest locally owned English language school, the New Britannia School of English, where he helps to prepare young people at the university or master's level to make their way in the world. These days, when Lucas is not doing all of the above, he is also working on a screenplay and has occasionally appeared in independent films as an actor. This guy just doesn't stop and he's super busy, but he still made time to come hang out with us on the Metropolitan Culture Corner. So please welcome Lucas Avram Cavazos to the 30th edition of our monthly interview series. I love communication. Every class I do, whether it's a business session, whether it's running my academy, whether it's a private tutoring, or of course, interviewing somebody in or outside of the studio, I love communicating with people. So my whole life has always been about serving others and communicating with them. My father once taught me years ago, everybody's in the service industry. Everybody, a doctor or a lawyer or a banker or a teacher or an entertainer or whatever, we're giving a service and hopefully providing one. And when you've got that in check, you learn honesty, integrity, and dignity. Hello and welcome. You're always going at a hundred million miles an hour with your hands in many, many projects. So thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you. Now, first things first, why make the move from New York to Barcelona 14 years ago? What brought you here? What kept you here? And how is the local scene, the art scene different? Okay, let's talk. What brought me here, honestly, I have a twin brother who was already here. I came for a visit to Europe for a couple of weeks and I fell, and I'm not say madly in love, I fell mad for somebody and eventually a few months later moved here because I had a job opportunity and friends and my twin and eventually within three months the relationship went to shite and I was locked between a rock and a hard place because my dog we discovered had a heart murmur and they would not give me a health certificate. 
me to go back to New York City with her. So I had to stay here. That is honest to God, the truth of why I stayed. In the end, I moved here for love, family, and a relationship. And then because of the love for my dog, like a Sally Field movie, not without my daughter, I had to stay. Glad I did. Now it's been 14 years, could have gone back, you know? Well, we've been with this pandemic shite. And before that, there was just no desire to go back. Between the towers falling until Obama was in the White House, I did not like to tell people when I was in Europe that I was in the US. I felt this abhorrence from many people within the European region, anger towards the US for the drama and towards the UK with Tony Blair at the time of getting involved in a war that in the end, you know, so when I moved here, it was when Bush was debating out and Obama was coming in. So 2009 was different. I just remember the shell shock of how different the nightlife is there versus here. And I think that was one of the other questions, excuse me. Yeah, how's the art scene different here than there, for example? For better, for worse, just different? I'm gonna quote Lisa Simpson. It takes time to properly sugarcoat an answer. <laughs> The Italians that are my family that my sister married into long, long, long ago that took us to New York in the mid-90s. They own eight of the original punk rock bars of the 80s, music rock scene bars. And so I was very connected to a scene that was downtown, more grunge punk rock, as well as a very strong house and electronic scene, you know, from the 90s, 2000s, up until the 2010s. And so to move here, what I've noticed, and also being a member of the LGBTQI plus community, is just a very different lifestyle. There's a sense of honor and history for the gay community and the people who fought to have the rights that we have. And I feel like there's an unfortunate forgetfulness. And I have found that there's a lack of that semblance of community that I wish we had stronger in the LGBTQI community and in the house music community, because I do love house music so much. Jazz and house and New York City for jazz and house. There's just nothing. There's very little like it. And Barcelona, I love that we do have a live music push and an international thing that to me that always brings me home when i can be where there's either indie house or jazz and somebody who's doing some fusion like someone i know that is what inspires me and we like to say that the united states where both of us were born is the melting pot but it to be more of a melting pot here in barcelona than in, not new york but then it was in maybe texas certainly more than in texas where i was born and raised it was 99 white and my family mm. these weird mexicans with native american and you know, and then the town itself, though, the city and the province is about 85% Latino. So it was a very weird dichotomy. And I always went to a private school until I was in high school. And then by then, my parents divorced and kind of moved us half-life to Brooklyn and half-life in Texas. And that, in a way, was a saving moment. But it was also a beautiful way to go from a, you know, country club tennis lifestyle to, yeah, what the hell, you know, that kind of reality. <laughs> there in New York City where I learned, wow, we really are a melting pot. So you came from this conservative background to New York, to Barcelona, and then ended up, like I said before, with your hands in all these different projects. But a lot of them involve communication, communicating with other people. It was my minor in university. I studied acting four years. Shout out HB Acting Studio 120 Bank Street in Manhattan. Even my mother, she was on radio, television. She worked in marketing, but she owned a bunch of businesses with my father. And they were pastors of a Judeo evangelical church. And because of my family's bars, I was able to experience more of live music. My elder siblings are also 10 and 15 years older. So they had a sense of grounding 
that they gave me and my twin that they didn't have. And it's been a blessing to have that. So is that what ultimately drew you into acting, into communication, into radio? It really happened because one day, me and my one of my dearest friends, shout out Kelly Millions, she is a fashion PR rep and stylist between Houston, New York, and LA. And she and I were on one of the drags in our university, dressed up to the nines. There was a lot of 70s fashion at the late 90s. And a scout was walking by and they said, oh my effing god and we said what and she said i'm doing a cover for 17 magazine for the september spread and you guys would be perfect just what you're wearing right now and so we ended up being the model spreads for the 17 magazine and they kept asking us do you act are you actor and like no we're students at that time you know i was there at the university of texas austin hooking horns but, you know, spring break, Easter break, summer break, winter break was always back in New York City. And I started realizing that with connections we had through the family, with what I wanted to do, that I wanted to do something in communications, but truly inspired by things like entertainment, which is something I'm always drawn to. So I switched over to a history degree and I kept communications as my minor to be effective for myself, but to really learn about others. Because anybody who is an educator of any sorts really realizes that we also get our own training through others as we educate or entertain. So speaking of communication, a lot of our readers, listeners, watchers, whatever, will know you from your radio show. So even though you started studying communications and then you ended up studying history, how did you get started in radio? Did you feel there was a demand for English language programming or you just fell into it? A bit of both, I would say. I was at one of a dear maid. Her name is Nina Mistry, had made a huge feast and I met a woman who's also a, I'm gonna say a life facilitator. I don't like the term coach very much, but whatever. Charlene Halbert, she said, oh my God, your voice. And she said, you have to meet my homegirl, Katrina. And Katrina Loji, and I will always be indebted to her, had started a program daily, by daily or something like that, but it turned into five days with different people doing different things. And they had commenced something called English Radio BCA and it just grew out of what was originally 106.9 Radio Canal Barcelona, now Radio Cultura Esportiu. And she asked me to come aboard, I guess it was around 2015-16, just subbing, sometimes doing cultural stuff because at the time I was also starting to work with Metropolitan Magazine back in the day. And they would ask me to do music and movie recommendations for their Friday section. So I would come in and do that and got my own show by 2016. I was offered one and I didn't want to do it alone, so I asked a spade of homegirls and one of them finally said yes and she and I started the club with Lucy and Lucas between 2016-17 I think was our first year and then in 2019 she moved away and I took the helm and you know Brexit was happening and I've got to make a mad shout out to the UK government they sponsored the first three plus years of my show and I'm, I've only done four they really did help me grow the show especially during the pandemic because of that I was able to grow the show organically you know nearly 15% of the Catalan audience here is within an intermediate to proficient level of English, which is not the same in other parts of this country, except perhaps the Costa Blanca, where a lot of UK and Irish expat immigrants had a tendency to go, and criminals, but that's another story. Whether we're talking about current events, imparting the news, or if you're interviewing someone about their career, does the show feel more like fun, or does it feel like a lot of responsibility, knowing that you're the filter for the information Both. thousands of people receive, yeah? Both. I do my best to share the news and always give my, my always objective but biased opinion because it's my show and I can do that. 
most of us, because of how we've been conditioned, don't often say what everybody is saying about the pink elephant that's right there in the corner. You know, when Joan Rivers died, I felt like she was always a force of reckoning for me. To just, you know, be bold, be strong, because a higher power is with you, and ain't nobody buying your copy anyway. Take a swing. Meaning that people need to sometimes hear a biased opinion as opposed to just the facts because it makes them think. It promotes communication. It's a very pointed perspective. If I understand you right, that because the world is kind of tended towards more autocracies in the face of all this fear of uncertainty, that it's important as an independent journalist to be the counterpoint. To be a counterpoint. I don't want to be the, but to be a counterpoint. And it's just interesting to know we have the same amount of democratic unions versus autocratic unions as we did in 1988. In fact, we had been doing well throughout the 90s to millennium. It's completely gone back. So just as we were 35 years ago, we're right back smack dab. But the only difference is that we are now living in a world, specifically within the West, where the majority of university and high school graduates and voters are female, not male. And so, what that bodes for the future is very, very different from what was happening 35 years ago. Whether I'm doing a session, whether I'm doing business, or on the show with a client or a guest, whatever, this stuff comes up. In your capacity as an educator, both to university-age students and to business professionals, there's this opportunity not only to impart information, but also kind of a philosophy of life, philosophy in business. What's the most important thing in general you feel like you've been able to impart to your students or bring to the table in these past couple of years? I think we don't give the students the tools of the reality. When our parents were knee-heist chicken or young adult in the early 70s, the world's population was just over 4 billion. From the dawn of man to the early 70s, 4 billion. And in the last 50 years, we have doubled that. And the kind of competition and tenacity that I believe that young adults will have to face, certainly that 15 to 29 crowd are going to have to face, is worlds different from when you and I even had to face the millennia. It's just night and day. And when they're given these screens, which give us the benefit to even do what we're doing right now, shoved into their faces from the time that they're children, they're not given the tools of critical thinking. You know, over 60% of 30-year-olds in our country live with their parents or grandparents right now, and nearly 20% of 40 year olds that's freaky we can't blame the kids only who are the parents that are permitting this when i'm in business sessions and i say were your parents 25 35 and 40 living with their were you there's this tendency to say it's lo que hay and it's cultural and it's not we can no longer accept that and this is one thing that i believe that i'm imparting more and more and you can see when the light bulbs turn on get yourself into a mindset where i don't have to be 20 and 25 and 30 and 35 living at home you know, there are steps. Barcelona Activa has many prospects for young learners and young adults to also get started. When there's a will, there's a way. But there's also got to be an understanding with parents to say, this mentality, me, how do I put a studiari trabajar a la vez? That has to stop because the competition that they're going to have to go to, you talk to business advisors, a lot of them are hesitant. You know, there's trepidation when they want to hire a young post-uni who may have a master's but has never worked a day in their life. So they have no office and roundabout work skills. And that's effective in a world that's moving to a digital age. I'm not involved in the education system here, but you are. Do you feel like the education system here prepares young people for the competition they're going to have to face on an international level? I'm not even going to answer for myself. I'm going to let you know what my uni and bachelor students say. And they say, hail to the not, to quote Whitney Houston. <laughs>
because it's still quantity over quality. You and I know that every term had, what was it, six classes, seven subjects? We always had three or four core, and then we choose our electives in high school, right? You know, the 90s when New Millennium were fun. But they have, I just did it with one of my students who's prepping for uni right now. She had 14 subjects. And how does a teenager who's 16, 17, 18, with their hormones, I thought they freaked out about, am I going to get into university and the selectivity or A-levels or SAT where we come from? 14 subjects. It's impossible. There's no learning. They regurgitate, they forget after the exam, and they move on. And only about 11% even learn past the death of Franco in the Constitution about history. So they don't teach them the last 40 plus years of the democracy that affects them. So it's easy to manipulate a mindset. How do you fight that kind of tendency in terms of the classes that you give or the business sessions that you give? You talk reality. A lot of them do. It's easy to utilize comedic news reports from things like Samantha Bee, like Stephen Colbert, like The Daily Show, you know, Graham Norton even, to show a picture of the US and the UK that shocks people's reality as Europeans. And when they start hearing it for the first time, it really wakes them up. And you have to be able to be funny about it. The candor is always important. You know what I'm talking about. If you can make someone smile, you got their ear. When you have their ear, you can get them so on. And if you have a little bit of food and wine in the mix, which is always good, you got them. Aside from the radio show, aside from the classes that you give and these private business sessions, you're also a writer. So what kind of projects are you working on if you can talk about them? And also what kind of people, whether it's big household names that everybody would know or maybe local people that we wouldn't know, have inspired you or who keep you interested in writing in general? To inspire me to keep writing, it's going to sound cliche, but I shout it out from the rooftops. One of my biggest inspirations is Stephen King. And on writers, one of his books on writing, him and his wife, she helped him write it. I was a teenager and I'm like, this man, this beautiful Catholic specimen from Maine. Him, Richard Bach is another big one. Those two writers specifically. Also, my love for cinema, as I used to do a lot of up until the pandemic, I was the only cinema critic in English here in Catalonia, was the fact that so many Mexican-American directors were winning. Guillermo del Toro, I had the blessing to be able to interview him. And the minute he knew I was a Mexican, he was like, okay, you. The only English interview he gave. Mm -mm in Sitges. Shout out to Sitges Film Festival, which is mwah. But so many other people, people who tend to think outside the box are the people who inspire me. That's one of the things that we have a tendency to do on the show is interview people who are outside the box, whether they're big name stars, people who run Money Heist, William Friedkin, the director of Asunta Serna, even Freddy Krueger, Belen Cuesta. I've been really lucky to be able to do all these things. And what that does is inspires my creativity. The thing I'm working on right now is moving the show beyond local radio and live streaming from YouTube to a podcast format, which we're already on the iBox, but something that's a bit comedic and geared towards looking at reality on reality's terms in the social media environment that we live in, which unfortunately is cornering the minds of impressionable youth, specifically TikTok and Instagram for girls and the Twitch and the FB and Twitter boys. And they've already admitted this to the US Congress and the European Commission last year. And we need to be aware of that. So your podcast is not just an extension of the radio show. It's specifically concentrated on the effect of social media on young people. We want to say that, but also just human beings in a digital age. And we want to take the piss out of it. So it's me and a couple of girlfriends who are working on that. I've been blessed through the show to be having a lot of connections 
connections into the writing world. Working on a project right now that's based on my childhood, but really does take a look at peeling back the layers of how right-wing extremism and conservatism has ruined the democracy or the wannabe republic democracy that you and I were born in, as we've seen so much oddness happen over the last few years in our country. Most countries, really. And I'm also script doctoring another project, I'm a producer here. And so I'm always working because I don't know anything else. And since I've been single for about a year, it's good for me to be busy. <laughs> well, when do any of these projects come out? Are there any release dates or potential release dates? Well, you can always catch me live every Tuesday from 11 to 12 on 106.9 FM and catch us as well on YouTube. The podcast is going to be, we're going to be breaking first ground over the Easter break and then going the sponsorship. That's going to be breaking over the summer. It is just funny and fun. We'll talk about it later. There's a whole script guide that I'm following for this screenplay and that I'm giving myself a good eight to 14 more months to finish that and then use 24 to really push that out. Haven't you also been in a couple of independent films? I saw you in at least one. I think, oh yes, in fact, shout out to film La Corriente, which is going on right now and just won at two different film festivals in the United States with director Jesus Lloveras. You can look that up. It's La Contra Corriente is what it's called. It is the first film that was filmed in Ibiza during the lockdown and it was filmed in an empty Ibiza and it tells a very heartwarming and sometimes breaking story. I also am filming a few scenes in a production that's going on right now and filming throughout the year and I'm in a cameo scene of another film that's also a post-production right now. That one's called Airwaves sci-fi. It's been a labor of love for a gentleman from England. Finally, post-pandemic, has been able to start filming again. With regards to film and other projects you're involved in, is it important to you that they reflect this kind of worldview as opposed to just being like a pretty love story or something like this? I'm not going to lie. One of them took off and then I got offered a part to do a rom-com. I was like, how much is it? Okay, let's talk. Yeah, let's be real. But I do believe it's a responsibility and those of us who know this and do help to inspire, encourage, entertain others, we have to help. You know, we do have to quote Helen Lovejoy from The Simpsons, help the children. Who's going to think about the children? And we do, because like I tell my uni students and batch kids, your parents love you unconditionally, but they do not want what's best for you. They want what's easiest for them and you, because what's best for you is often hard, and it's time for people to get off their duffs, and a lot of times it's going to be very, very difficult. So that's the advice you'd give to your students, specifically with regards to just kind of being prepared for life in the modern world, but let's say you had someone who just moved here, whatever age they were, and they wanted to get involved in the film world and the theater world and arts and radio, specifically in the English language expat artistic community. Is there any advice that you would give them? Educate yourselves on where you need to be and who you should know, because it's very important. Let's be real. It is about networking and being consistent. The other thing is keep hustling. The person who wants to get into this, you've got to be now plugging and plugging and plugging and plugging and saying yes to a little commercial, saying yes to an indie film and not getting paid and going yes to be a background singer. You just have to be prepared to get those fingers in different pies. All right. <laughs> You're also really involved in supporting a lot of nonprofit organizations, Democrats Abroad, Alice, which helps survivors of sexual abuse, initiatives that raise mm -hmm. awareness and support the LGBTQI community, many others. I mean, these specific organizations, why are they important to you? I'm the son of a preacher man, a preacher woman and man, that's why. I was raised economically blessed, but we would wrap up a big van and drive down to the most wretched parts of Mexico from Country Club, Texas, and give to people who had nothing. There was this element of where much is received, much is required. When you have the ability and you have the knowledge, you have the wherewithal, you have the goods, you have the time, talent, treasure, it is your duty to do it, full stop.
because so many of our local populace don't really look towards those things. So we bring awareness to them whenever and however we can. Yeah, preacher's kid. Somewhere down from a baby in the 80s. Still there, child. Tell you what. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lucas. It's always fun to talk to you. Now, listeners, readers, watchers of the Metropolitan Culture Corner, be on the lookout for all the many projects that Lucas is involved in. And remember that you can tune into his English language radio show, The Club with Lucas on RCE 106.9 FM and locally. Speaking of exciting things happening in English, specifically interviews, make sure you tune in next month to the Metropolitan Culture Corner because our guest next month is one of the most dynamic professional women I know. You will not want to miss this one. This lady is a dynamo. And in the meantime, stay safe, keep supporting local art and culture, and remember that you can check out all of the MCC interviews on Metropolitan's official YouTube channel or as a convenient podcast on their SoundCloud page. Thank you for continuing to follow what we do, and thank you to Barcelona Metropolitan for continuing to support this project which shines the light on all the really cool people who make up the city of Barcelona and its culture scene. Looking forward to seeing you all again next month. <laughs>